Ian Marber was working in property investment when he was diagnosed with celiac disease. He became so interested in his diet that he decided to resign and use his savings to study nutrition full-time. He went on to set up the Food Doctor Consultancy, which he later sold, and he still advises individual and corporate clients, but is best known for his television appearances, newspaper columns and best-selling books. Ian, thank you for speaking to me. First of all, um, you're a nutritionist, but yes. you're more than a nutritionist because you're a celebrity nutritionist, <laughs> if I can say that. Uh, descri describe your typical week and what you do. Uh, well, first of all, it's interesting that, that in my line of work, being a celebrity nutritionist is actually not such a, a compliment. Uh, it, it's interesting because you talk about celebrity and it implies a sort of lightweight attitude as if somehow you yourself have wanted to be famous rather than actually carry on with your work. Um, my a typical week is uh, I, I do a lot of writing. So I write for The Times. I write for The Spectator. Not all the time, but you know, here and there. Um, uh, quite a lot of the Telegraph. So I, I might write something, uh, a column, or be asked a quote on something. Uh, I see clients as well, private clients, so uh, I see them when suitable for them. So I don't have a specific clinic day, so I might see one on a Tuesday morning, one on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, a lot of time is spent prepping for the clients, and also after I've spent the hour with them, uh, I have to write copious notes, guidance mm -hmm. notes for them, um, and sometimes I have to write to GPs, etc. Uh, a lot of the time is spent um, uh, planning ahead, simply because there are so many aspects of my work. One aspect is working with brands on health claims and also helping them develop products that really deliver something for the consumer, uh, including value. Uh, and another aspect, of course, is uh, writing books. So I've written uh, 12. The 12th one was published recently. And so after you've written a book, as many people will know, um, it's a done done deal. It's, it's out of your head, as it were. And suddenly, six months or a year later, you've got to promote it and <laughs> occupy that space all over again. So uh, I've just been busy with promoting books at the moment. Um, you've got your core job, which you're obviously very good at. Um, but you've obviously got a passion for sharing your message, which is why you do all this media work. So what is it? What's the message you're trying to send out there? Where is the passion? Um, I think uh, when I first qualified, uh, like a lot of people who first uh, discover health or wellness, they tend to be quite zealous and overzealous. Um, I think with age and with experience, uh, I've learned that the uh, core message of a good diet hasn't changed. Whether it's paleo or vegan, or whatever people choose to be, the core message doesn't change. And those unfussy grown-up principles uh, are without fads um, and it's sharing that message that I find really important because you can uh, we've all done diets either for weight loss or because we think they're going to help our skin our memory whatever it may be and there may be some benefits but human nature is such that we don't stick to these things even though they do reap reward rewards so it's getting the fundamental basic message across about those elements of a good diet um, and the, the fads, if you like, are just the tweaks, the, the sugar-free icing on the gluten-free cake, if you like. But you've also, you also came into it at a time when um, nutrition became much more important to people. Um, have you worked out why people care so much more about what they're eating? Is it just because they want to be healthy? Um, well, I think there's three reasons. First of all, they want to be healthy in a general sense. Um, secondly, it's always going to be about weight loss and controlling weight. And that's something that, you know, it was ever thus. It's never going to change. I can't imagine it will. Um, and the, the third aspect is uh, media attention. When I first qualified in 1999, um, I mean, immediately uh, I, I was interviewed by newspapers, which was astounding. 
you know, I was one of a hundred people to graduate in, in the college that I studied at. Uh, why me? And um, I wasn't quite sure what the, why. I mean, I'd written a book, but so had other people. Um, and suddenly I had a, a media profile. And having a, uh, I sound a bit vain, personable, articulate person talking about nutrition mm -hmm. in a non-faddy way was, um, uh, got a lot of airtime and a lot of media attention. And I think that's partly, not me, certainly, but people like me have driven the uh, focus towards nutrition. Explain to me how you got into the line of work as well, because you were doing something completely different previously. I was. I, I worked for an investment company in my 20s, and uh, mostly commercial investment, uh, buying and selling properties. It was soulless and faceless and quite lucrative, um, so quite attractive in a, in a way. Um, and I had was uh, suffered from digestive problems, which I'd had for most of my life uh, as a child, as a, a, a tiny baby. I was actually in... Great Ormond Street for a short period of time because I had what's called failure to thrive, which is a classic symptom of celiac disease. I was weaned and um, uh, grains didn't agree with me because they were wheat-based and gluten-based uh, grains. So all I had classic symptoms, they were missed. And um, I was uh, told I had IBS in my teens and 20s. And I, you know, I kept pursuing it because I wasn't getting any better. And when I was diagnosed with celiac disease, it was a you know, life-changing moment. Not only did I manage my health and, and my energy and my wellness completely differently, um, I, I saw a, I suppose if you like, a way out of commercial investment. And I thought, I want to know more about this from my own perspective. So decided to go back and study nutrition. And if luck came into it, it was that you didn't necessarily have to worry about the money because you had earned your money. You were able to take a risk and get involved in something you were passionate about. Yes, I was. I mean, I, you know, I don't want anyone to think I was rich, but I certainly had enough to pay for college and, uh, you know, I had a bit of family support as well. Sold my flat, so that helped. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, living in, in rented flats, which was absolutely fine. Um, and I didn't have any grand plan. I didn't think, well, after this, I shall set up a, a, you know, the largest nutrition business in the UK. I wasn't planning to do that at all. It just sort of happened around me because my first book was called The Food Doctor and we attracted investment into the company that was The Food Doctor. And, and within, I think, a year of, of graduating, uh, I had a consultancy. We had a range of foods in Tesco's. Uh, I was doing work for multinationals, airlines. It was it was really unexpected and bizarre, but you know, a lot of fun. So you you were winging it to some extent. <laughs> I well, I I was qualified. Mm. I knew what I was talking about, but I didn't but have the specific opportunities you were jumping on. Well, actually, they jumped on us. Yeah. Amazingly, we we uh, even in the early days, we didn't pursue any opportunities. I mean, we pursued them when they came our way, but we had approaches all the time because I think there was a a, a growing interest in nutrition and health but without a label, without a brand that yeah. people could focus on. So we became that brand. But what's interesting about that is that lots of people get opportunities, but I think when someone's driven, you're open to those opportunities and you take them. Uh, and that's what I mean by winging it, I guess. Yes, I mean, certainly you've got to, when they come your way, you've got to run with them. Um, and, you know, I think because I was confident in, in my abilities, my colleagues' abilities, and also the company's abilities to deliver, um, that, yeah, we, we certainly ran with them. And I think, you know, the reason we were, we were very, very professional in what we did, not just on the day-to-day -day individual personal consultations, but also understanding how we could translate nutrition into a more, uh, pardon the pun, digestible, palatable message mm. that would appeal to a wide audience. And that in itself meant that we had the 
the foundations to to work with businesses that came and said, would you do this for us? Uh, but there wasn't this grand career plan to have that specific goal. Uh, you basically ended up there because you were on a path of some kind. Well, I, I was on a path, but I, I certainly the path was no more planned than yeah. tomorrow. Um, but you know, th things happen. Amazing things happen from from you know worldwide multinationals to uh, small brands needing help, needing advice, um, and it, we did wing it, mm. and um, and it was exciting. And something every week, something new happened, and mm. and a lot of that was because of my um, uh, profile, my visibility, if you like. None of which I actively pursued. You know, I found myself on Channel Four every week. Um, I made a TV show for the Discovery Channel, uh, wrote a dozen books, did a lot of news. Uh, uh, when you know something came up that was nutrition or health related, I was asked to comment. So it kind of happened around me. But you know, again, professional, uh, do the do your job and deliver. And um, you know that's why. In other words, don't muck it up, <laughs> don't be a smart ass, and don't ruin opportunities. But you've got an interesting perspective on fame, haven't you? Because um, you're saying it effectively um, disqualifies you from being yourself. Well, it's very different. When you are uh, an actor, um, you can be yourself and that's celebrated. Uh, when you're a health professional that has attracted some visibility, you know, I don't like the word celebrity because I think it sort of cheapens it in a way, that um, it implies, as I said, that you pursued fame or you pr pursued visibility purely for that reason, for some uh, egotistical reason. Um, and uh, it does somewhat disqualify you um, because a lot of people will come and see you or want to be associated with you professionally because of your visibility. But at the same time, other, there's a, a large percentage that are equally put off. They think that you are uh, overpriced because of your visibility, mm. that somehow um, it, it clouds everything. And celebrity is the trump card. It really is the trump card in our society, except I think when it comes to healthcare. And what about the people that knew you before? Um, when I was first uh, you know, on television, I, I think there was a change in the way some people treated me. Um, certainly, I, uh, some people would treat my time as if it was more valuable than theirs. If they telephoned, they'd say, well, have you got time to talk? Um, uh, so they were, always, they were much more respectful in a very strange way. And, and something I didn't expect, because I had no experience of this, it was strangely isolating. Mm. Um, were you lonely? Oh, God, painfully lonely at times. Yeah, absolutely painfully lonely. And the really weird thing is the people who I had known all my life didn't ask so much about me. If I had been on television and another guest was a Hollywood A-lister or, or someone else, they would say, what was so-and-so mm -hmm. like? Not, how are you? Or what's going on? Or, you know, did you, that? Did you fix your bathroom? <laughs> Just the, the basic yeah. mundane stuff. It became about other people, my associations. And how did you eventually come to terms with that then? Because you seem okay now, dare uh, I say. I, do you know, I think when I was, uh, and we're talking about my the early career, so it was of 2000 to 2005, um, I got used to it. I got used to it, and I think that I saw it for what it was, that it was part of my job. Mm. It didn't define me as an individual. But you have to have a, a, a certain maturity. And I think that, you know, I was lucky because... Um, you know, I was slightly older. I'm 55 now, so you know, 15 mm. years ago I was 40, and I was slightly older. I, I think when that happens to someone in their 20s, you don't necessarily have the strength of character to be able to assimilate it into your day-to-day -day life without thinking, God, you know, I really deserve this. Mm. Um, not everyone is like that, but I think you know, I think there's in, in equal parts there's an imposter syndrome going, Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve it. And I wonder if there's another side to it where we think, do you know, I, I've always wondered if I'm better than anybody else, and it seems that I really am. 
And as long as you find uh, you, you know that neither of those are true, um, you can find a way through it. You talk about imposter syndrome, but uh, you're also very driven, uh, particularly after you had that initial business. Is it something connected with that initial business that you have a fear of that you don't want to go back to? Um, I uh, the business was was superficially successful. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily uh, as financially successful as some people seem to think. Um, I know that I was I was talked about in in several books, including a novel at one point, somebody else's novel, where they talked about the Food Doctor Empire, which you know made us giggle. But you know I can see how people might think that because the products are in supermarkets. So when when I left in two thousand and twelve. Uh, my fear was, although I certainly wasn't particularly happy in the last few years of The Food Doctor, um, my fear was that it was an identity, one that I didn't want, but without it, who was I? Mm. What was I? Um, and uh, so the fear, if you like, of, um, uh, I suppose, almost a way of disappearing, of being uh, no longer valid, no longer um, interesting. Um, was so that was the fear that drove you during that business, to keep... Well, after the business, actually, yeah, because after I sold out, um, I, you know, I had to uh, find a way to, to go forward. And so, and I luckily enough, with a, uh, a good reputation, I was employed by, you know, as a freelancer by several brands to advise them on product launches, mm. new products, health claims. Um, and, and that's continued. I, I do a lot of that still. But presumably the overriding fear is one attached to the original property business where you weren't stimulated effectively. You don't want to go back to that. I, I think um, uh, definitely, although you know it was lucrative, I wasn't stimulated. I wasn't engaged with it. I couldn't care less. Um, but I do still retain that profound and, and deep link to nutrition. That sounds very pretentious, but it's true. Because I, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of its properties and benefits and how easy it can be. Uh, to improve nutrition in people's lives. And I think that um, as long as you retain that, uh, the fear of failure, if you like, and the fear of disappearing uh, means that you're true to your core message. It's interesting because there's a, there's a bit of a conflict there, isn't there? Because on one side of you, there's a fear of disappearing, but also a fear of becoming too famous and losing that identity. I think um, that's not, the latter's not going to happen. Um, you know, if we look at... Would you want it, though? Would you like to be the A-list celebrity? No, 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 I never did. In fact, I was a very reluctant celebrity mm. in inverted commas during the you know during the time I was on television I didn't I suddenly was invited to film premieres mm. and, and all sorts of exciting things it's really not what it's cracked up to be I, is it? <laughs> I didn't want to go I didn't want to go I went to I did go to a Bond premiere and that was you know spectacular mm. but you know I, I had impossible what was I doing there mm. you know I was a nutritionist it was hilarious in a way um, so uh, I learned to say yes to the things that were relevant and that I was interested in and say no to things that just made me look famous because mm. I, I certainly wasn't and didn't want to pursue that and I don't you know if, if I was offered to do a T I mean I'm I work on TV now and if I was offered to do a TV program of my own um, I would only do it on something that I was genuinely interested mm. in uh, and that's actually something I'm working on at the moment rather than just something to make me better known but that's your fear isn't it not being engaged in what you do surely yeah I mean there's to me you know I'm 55 there's no point in doing something that lacks uh, interest, engagement, and it just becomes inauthentic. And I think uh, whether it's television or media, I think you know the readers and the viewers can sniff out someone who's inauthentic mm. quite easily. Um, so finally, I have to ask you your, you know, I'm sure you've got asked a billion times, but the, the one health tip you always give people, where do you start with someone at the beginning of a consultation? Um, 
where do I start? I think one one of the things I say to people at the beginning of consultations is bear in mind that most of the f knowledge you have about food has come from other people with an agenda, from either because businesses tell us more about food than health resources do, and understand that everything that you read about nutrition and health is deep-rooted, and so uh, you may have strong beliefs, and the reason that you're here is to discuss those beliefs and find a, a better way of doing things. So it's, it's understanding that what we've told, a lot of it is bullshit, um, and it's commercially driven, and we are not above buying into that. You're a counsellor. <laughs> well, I suppose actually anyone who works one-on-one -on -one with people, yes, you do right. have to, there is a certain amount. But I think also very important to understand that there are professional boundaries. I'm there to talk about nutrition, mm -hmm. and when we stray onto other subjects, whilst I may or may not be able to help, not my job. Well, thank you. You very much helped with this podcast. Thanks for speaking to me, Ian. Thank you.